Hey, Neil. Can you stick that by my backpack? Well, good morning. Good to be here. So yesterday, I've got a friend in town. I decided I'm going to go on top of our 33 acres over here so we can see the whole valley. You know, drive up there with my expedition. Done this before. Never done it in the rain, right? And uh, so after almost sliding off the cliff and having the emergency brake on and still sliding down the hill towards the cliff, I'm just thankful to be here today. It's a great day. Just, you know. Uh, so, hey, uh, for those of you who are new to or are kind of new at this whole Christian Jesus thing, uh, believers say it or like, what is that? You know, um, you know uh, the Jewish people have always celebrated Passover, and uh, so uh, that's when Jesus uh, in- introduced the Last Supper, was at the Passover meal. So believers say is sort of a shortened version of a, the Passover meal, uh, and, and then uh, the, with its significance and how it was fulfilled in Jesus. So this year we're doing that on Thursday night, so it's Thursday Seder. Friday, Good Friday, and then uh, Easter weekend services. So that's a little bit of background on that. Now, we are starting a new series today. Are you ready for that? I'm excited about that. Um, so uh, if you're new here at Rocky Peak, uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and inside of your weekend program is a white uh, message note sheet that we use every week to uh, go through our time of teaching. It's just a help, helpful way to, to learn and to follow along. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get, uh, get started. <coughs> Father, we are just excited. We're here as your church. Lord, we realize that every series that you bring, there's a, there's a reason, there's a timing. Uh, it's, it's far from me to understand it, Lord, but as I look back, I can see how you've been uh, growing us, teaching us, leading us as a church. And, and so as we're sort of on the verge of a brand new series, God, I'm just excited. What do you have for us this year in the series? And so, so we come as your people, and we come in your place, and we come ready to learn from you as your followers. What does it look like to be a follower? What does it look like to be part of this, this ancient movement that started in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that they, they called in the early church the way? And so we pray that you'd be with us today and show us what it means and speak to us by name and talk to us about our situation in our life right now and that we would come out of here connected with you in new ways. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it had been two long weeks, but they were still lost at sea, hopelessly lost. It was just two weeks ago. They had been in the, the harbor. It was at uh, Fair Havens in the south side of Crete in the Mediterranean Ocean. It was right on the, the edge of winter. And, and to be honest, most captains wouldn't risk it. Uh, uh, most sailing ships had put up for the winter. The Mediterranean is a scary place in the winter, and ancient vessels would rarely venture out. And most captains... Uh, knew not to. There was, the stories were legendary of, of ships that had, had tried to brave uh, the winter seas and, and ended up uh, losing their cargo and losing their lives. And so, so most captains wouldn't have done it, but, but he, he really wanted to get just over from Fairhaven around the western tip of the island and, and get over to the, the, uh, the harbor at, at Phoenix because Phoenix was a much cooler place to spend the winter. And if you're going to be there for three months, I mean, just let's get to Phoenix and nothing happened at Fairhaven. And so it's only 50 miles, just one day, one good day of sailings, and it was a beautiful day, and the, there was a nice southerly breeze coming up that day, and so he said, men, we're going for it. And so he, he made the decision, we're going to put out, we're going to make a run for it. And uh, it was one of the worst decisions of his life. It would end up costing him this, this whole cargo of grain that was being shipped from Alexandria back to Rome. It would, it would almost cost him the lives of every man on board, 276 of them 
One of those men was a, was a prisoner traveling under guard with a Roman soldier. He was, he, was a, he was a leader of a new movement that started off, kind of a crazy movement, really. started in Jerusalem. was called The Way, and his name was, was Paul. And so they headed out that day. They, they pulled up anchor. They, they hoisted the sails, and they head out with that, that gentle uh, breeze from the south, and they, they headed around to the, to the harbor of, of Phoenix. But as they came around the, the bottom side of that island, all of a sudden the wind shifted. And there was a huge wind that picked up from the northeast. In fact, the sailors have a name for this, this wind during the winter. It's called the, the Northeaster. It's basically a hurricane. And it kept up unexpectedly and boom, they were caught. And they were too far from port to go back. And, and so they tried to fight it for a while and pretty soon there was no fighting. And they just pulled down the sails and tried to ride it out. The, the sky turned black. The the waves started kicking up. The water began coming over the sides of their ship. They had a, a lifeboat that they would tow behind them. They decided they better pull it up before it sunk and then began to drag them down. Now it's getting really scary, and these sailors are starting to lose heart. These are, these are experienced sailors, but they know they're in for it. And so in the midst of the hurricane, now it's just getting dark, and, and they wouldn't see the sun or the moon or the stars for two weeks, for the next two weeks. And they began to get their cables out. And even in the midst of this hurricane, they, they would put cables underneath the hull of the ship and, and tie it together and try to hold it together in the midst of this incredible thrashing storm. Three days into it, they were pretty much giving up hope. They were goners. All they could do was pray. They began throwing over the tackle. They threw over their grain, all their, most of their grain. There, there, there was whole, anything to lighten the ship. And they just held down and prayed for good weather. In the midst of this storm... This man named Paul, he would claim that his God came to him and told him it was going to be okay. And he's not so sure who he is or whether to believe him. But sure enough, it came true. At the end of two weeks, that ship was driven against the sand, a sandbar. Turned out it was off the island of Malta. Of course, they didn't know it at the time. In that two weeks' time, they had been blown 600 miles off course. And when that ship stuck in the sandbar, the waves began to batter it and it began to break apart. So those who could swim, swam to shore. Those who couldn't swim waited till the ship broke up and they tied and lashed themselves to the boards from the ship. But by the end of the day, they'd all made it in. Everyone, just as Paul had promised, had been saved. They stayed there on the island of Malta for three months, wintered the, uh, went through the winter. And then when spring came, the, uh, the Roman guard put put uh, Paul and his friends and went with them on another ship, Alexandria's ship that was uh, headed towards Rome. And so sure enough, just as God had promised Paul two years before when he was first arrested and put under guard, that sure enough, he had made it to Rome, just not like he expected. Today we're starting a brand new series. And the series is called The Way. And it's a, a series that's on the, the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest spiritual leaders, greatest spiritual thinkers of all time. And most of all, he was an incredible Christ follower. And so in the next, what, eight, nine, ten, three years, whatever, uh, we're going to be spending uh, some time most of this year, probably into the fall at least, um, uh, on, on the writings and, and the life of this, this man. And what we're going to be doing is every week we're going, to, we're going to get at it the same way. We're going to start off each week starting at his letter, one of his most famous letters and longest letters, to the church at Rome. 
uh, book of Romans. And then, um, and then what we'll do is we'll use that as a gateway into the life and teaching. So when he raises an important issue there, we'll say, what else has he said about this in his other writings, you see? But the whole point of this is to be able to sit down with this great Christ follower and let him mentor us. What does it mean, really, to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a, a member of his movement that in the early church they called the way? So today, here's what we're going to do. A couple things we're going to do today. First of all, the first half of the, the message today, we're going to focus on the background to this letter to the book of Romans. I'm calling it Romans the Backstory. Uh, why was it written? Who, uh, when was it written? Uh, what, what's in it a little bit? Uh, where does it fit into Paul's whole life and uh, in, in, in his uh, kind of journey with Jesus? And then the second part, we're going to come back and, and we're going to talk about three insights into this man, the Apostle Paul, um, because he's going to be the man who's mentoring this all these months. And so we want to understand a little bit about him, who he was, um, and, and just some characteristics of his life that will be very helpful as we go through. Some insights into this amazing leader. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Backstory. And I think the best way to get at this uh, backstory is to go with some dates, all right? So you got your note sheet there, and I want you to write down a date, first of all. And, and today, as you'll figure out, this first half is, is kind of more academic than we normally are, but I think it's important when we study Bible to, to understand in its context, and its flow, if we're really going to get it, uh, the message. So, uh, so the first date I want you to write down is, is the date 30 A.D., right? Now, 30 A.D. Is, is the date that Jesus, approximate date when Jesus was crucified. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified in, in Jerusalem. Uh, he rose from the dead three days later. About a month and a half later, the church was launched in Jerusalem. Now, here's what we know, is that the Apostle Paul uh, didn't start off as the Apostle Paul, that he was not originally a Christ follower. Now, I know that, that some of you have been Christians a long time, you know this, but a lot of us are really new at this. And so, so the Apostle Paul was not always a Christ follower. In fact, he was not a Christ follower. He was a Christ hater. Um, and, and I think even for many of us who are, are Christians, we have no idea how violent he, a man he was. Um, he, he saw Jesus as a total sham and fraud. The whole movement was, uh, was a heresy. And he felt a calling in his life to stamp it out. And so uh, he was extremely violent in the way he went about this. He, he not only would arrest believers, uh, he would actually, when he would arrest followers of this movement called the Way, he would arrest them and then he would beat them and try to get them to curse the name of Jesus. So he would torture them, essentially, to curse the name of Jesus. And then, um, then he would throw them in prison and then when they came up for their trials, he would vote against them for their death. So he will later describe himself at the end of his life as a violent man and a persecutor. And that's exactly what he was. Of course, that all changes for him about three to five years after the movement starts. We're not sure the exact date, but if you want to write down a date, somewhere 33, 35, somewhere in there, uh, the best we can tell is about then that he has an encounter with Jesus. Now, he, he is actually on a trip. He's traveling north of Jerusalem. He's about 135 miles away. And he's traveling to Damascus to arrest other Christ followers and bring them back for trial. And, and there on the road, he meets uh, Jesus. Jesus appears to him. And can you imagine, like, oh, no. You know, it's like we've we got to take off our stained glass uh, eyes here at this point. Uh, if you're Paul and, and you see Jesus, it's not good news. Right. You've been beating his followers and putting them to death for the last few years. 
and all of a sudden you found out you're on the wrong side. Um, you know, I think it was more like, oh, blankety blank. You know, I could tell you what it is in the Greek. Not the English, but the Greek. Okay, so, so overnight, his life has changed. I mean, he's totally reorientation. Like, he's got to figure out what is going on with my life, all this stuff I believe, taught, everything's crazy. And for the next 10 years, uh, he, will, he will travel from place to place doing some ministry, trying to figure this whole thing out, uh, and, and just growing like a weed as a Christ follower. And so we don't know a lot about the next 10 years, but we know uh, several things. Like, uh, we know some of the places where he stayed. Like, he, he went to Damascus, where he was on his way when Jesus met him. He spent some time there. He spent some, his time in the, era, uh, uh, the kingdom of Arabia. Uh, we, for, for some, we don't know how long or what he did. Uh, a lot of times people act like we do, but we don't. And, um, and so he spent some time there. He, he, we know he went back to um, kind of his hometown area. He was from the nor- uh, uh, area of, of called Syria and Cilicia. He was born in a major city called Tarsus. We know he spent some time there. But at the end of the 10 years, we find him. He's really uh, landed and locked in at a, a city named Antioch, which was um, a hotbed of the, the new movement. It was a hotbed. And so, um, and so uh, about 10, so that's like 10 years of his life, okay, that we just covered. Now, about the year 46, and you want to write that down, about the year 46, he feels God's call in his life to begin to go on church planting tours. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, you know these are often called Paul's missionary journeys. I like to think of them more like concert tours. So they're like, He's got these three tours of duty he does where he, he leaves Antioch each time. He goes out and he, he takes the message of Jesus. He, he brings people to Christ. He plants churches and then he tours back. Uh, different than a concert tour, he would spend longer in a town. Uh, he would often spend uh, as short as days or just a couple weeks, two or three weeks. But many times he'd spend all, uh, in certain key cities up to two or three years. And so he, he would start these. And so this first journey, uh, there's three of these uh, tours. His, the first one lasts just a couple years, 46 to 48. And so over the next 10 years, 11 years, he's going to do these three tours, all right? Now, at this point, you need the map that's inside of your handout. <coughs> and I want you to turn the, to the side that says Paul's first missionary journey. And you'll notice the dates at the bottom and the, and the reference in the book of Acts if you want to learn more about this. But look at the right of your map and find Antioch, okay? You want to circle that. Antioch's home base. Uh, this is his hometown. This is, um, this is the hotbed of, of, of Christianity, the, the way. And so on this first journey, he takes his buddy, uh, Barnabas, and they travel south to the island of Cyprus. You can follow the arrows. And then they go up north to the mainland, modern-day Turkey, and you see some place like Italia and Perga. And then notice he goes inland, all the way to Derby, and then retraces his steps back. Now, this is like a two-year journey, and he's, he's sharing Christ, he's planting churches, all right? And then he comes back to Antioch, and, and he reports on what, what he's done. He's been there for about a year. Now, then next he's going to go on his second missionary journey. So turn the, your sheet over <coughs> and find Antioch again, and ignore the arrow that goes down to the south. That's where Barnabas and Mark uh, go. But he takes a new buddy named Silas, and they travel north overland. Notice Tarsus, that's his hometown. Um, that's, that's where he's born. Tarsus, major city, major, major university city, by the way. About half a million people at his time he lived, uh, when he was born there. 
And, and then he uh, continued traveling see, uh, uh, to the east where he was kind of revisiting some of the churches he started on his first missionary journey. And notice he keeps on going kind of north and, and west. I said he's north and west. Um, and notice he comes to Troas, which is like a seaport. He gets on a ship there. He sails across. Now, at this point, he's leaving Asia. He's moving to Europe. And so the message of Jesus through Paul is now leaving Asia. And this is a major, this is a major uh, point in church history. He's now taking it aggressively uh, over into uh, Europe. And the first place he goes in Europe to plant a church is the, the town of Philippi. You might want to circle that because we're going to come back to that later. It plays an important part in the message today. He starts the church there. He continues to the east. You see Thessalonica and Berea. Um, he goes to the south. No, notice in the south of Greece now you see Athens down there, and you want to find Corinth. Now circle Corinth because that becomes important. And then he, uh, after spending a couple years at Corinth, he gets on his ship. He sails back to the west to Ephesus. He doesn't really spend any time there, just says hi to everyone. He says, I'd love to come back later and do some ministry. But now he's going to go south down to the island of, through the, by the island of Rhodes. Notice he goes all the way south to Caesarea. Caesarea it was the, the Roman seat of government for Judea. And so uh, that's where the, the governors would often be and so on. And so um, Caesarea, in fact, Caesarea is an amazing place. If you go there today, I've been there a couple times. It's some of the best ruins in the ancient world. You can still see the amphitheater that was there when Paul was there. You can still see uh, the, this incredible harbor that Herod the Great built. It was an artificial harbor where they built it out into the ocean with cement and, and huge stones that created a safe harbor. And so he lands in the harbor of Caesarea. He goes up to visit the church in Jerusalem and then goes north again to Antioch. So that's his second visit, all right? So his second journey. Now his third journey, I didn't give you a map for, but I'm just going to tell you about it. Use the second map. Okay? So he's there for Antioch for a year, a year or so, and then he decides to go on his third journey. And so on this third journey, uh, he goes back to Ephesus over the mainland, goes to Ephesus. He spends two or three years there, then he goes around the horn again, around the Aegean Sea, so up visiting the churches that he started on his second journey. You know, so Thessalonica and all those, you know, Berea and all. Goes down and he lands at Corinth. And this is important now because it's in Corinth, and here's our next date, in the year 57 AD. It's in 57 AD that he writes his letter to the Romans. Okay? So you can see he's, he's pretty experienced in ministry. He's been in ministry now for 20 years. He's writing to the Romans. Now, Here's the interesting thing. When he writes to the Romans, what he says is, hey, I'm, I'm sensing that God's calling me to take the message of Jesus farther west. I've kind of finished with this part of the world. And he said, what I really want to do is I want to take the message of Jesus to Spain. Okay, that's my goal. There's already a church started in Rome. We don't know how it got started, really. We have some theories. But he says, so I, what I'd like to do is stop and see you all there in the capital, do a little ministry there, but just going to keep on going, and, and hopefully you'll be willing to help me take the message of Jesus to Spain, okay? And so, um, so that's, that's, when he, that's one of the reasons he writes this letter to Romans. He's introducing himself. He'd never been to Rome. He knew a few people there because of friends who had ended up, you know, he'd met other times who kind of live in Rome. So he had some friends, but he didn't know the church at Rome. And so he's writing to them um, to kind of begin to build an emotional connection, a spiritual tie, so they can partner later on in uh, helping him into Spain. Does that make sense? Okay, now I want you to see this in Romans. Okay, so let's take our Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter 15. 
Romans 15, we'll see much of this story. So in Romans 15, we'll start at verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey, um, to obey God. Now, uh, gen, you know, Jews, there's two kinds. If you're an ancient Jew, there's two kinds of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. And, and Paul felt like his calling in life, that God had called him to reach out to Gentiles. So that's what he's saying here. And uh, verse 19 says, by the power of signs and miracles. So he has an apostle, God gave him the power to do miracles and signs to authenticate his message. And it says, through the power of the Spirit. <laughs> so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Now look at your map again, that second missionary journey. We know, so Jerusalem, we see where that is. That's where he started, right? Um, that's where he started his, his, you know, kind of, uh, his Christian life, so to speak. Um, for around, now, Illyricum is not on this map, but if you look to the left of the map where it says Achaia, find Achaia on there, that's like in southern Greece. If you were to go just to the left and north, and left and up, um, there would be, that would be the area of Illyricum, that whole coast that, if you're familiar with Italy, just right across the Adriatic Sea, that strip of uh, coastline across the Adriatic Sea, that would be Illyricum in ancient time. And so the Apostle Paul says that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he says, uh, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He felt his specific calling in his life was to kind of be the Star Trek apostle, you know, to go where no man had gone before. And so he always wanted to he didn't want to go where other people had spread the gospel. He felt that his specific assignment was to take the message where no one had ever gone. And so that's what he's saying. Um, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. In verse 22, that's why I've been often hindered from coming to you. You get that feeling in the letter to Rome that there were some who were critical of the apostle Paul. Why haven't you been here sooner? I mean, we're the capital of the empire. You've been a Christ follower for over 20 years. You'd think you'd make it a priority. But he says, hey, look, God has called me to this other thing, and I've been really caught up in it, and that's why I've been hindered in coming. Um, And so that's the deal. So verse 23. But now things have changed. Now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. He feels like he's He's done his job starting strategic churches in that region. And since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. And uh, I I hope to visit you while passing through. Now notice this. He's not coming to Rome for a long-term ministry. He's passing through. And to have you assist me on my journey there. So maybe they'll help him financially, send some people with them. We're not sure after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He says, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. So look at your map again, the second, the second missionary. So he's, remember, he's in Corinth, 57 AD. He is now about to leave as, after he writes this letter and go back to Jerusalem. Now, why? Well, he says, in the service of the saints there. Saints is Paul's word for Christians, okay? So verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia, those are the Greek provinces, okay, so the churches that he'd started, these Gentile churches, they were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So we know the ancient church of Jerusalem was very poor, which, by the way, why the health and wealth gospel makes no sense, right? 
But uh, anyway, they were very poor, and the Apostle Paul had taken an offering from his Gentile churches he started in order not only to help them financially, but to help build a bond between Jews and Gentiles in the early church. You see, we have no concept of this today, but in the early church, this was a huge thing. Jews never hung out with Gentiles. And all of a sudden, you got Jews and Gentiles in the same church, and it was tough at times. And so Paul wants to bring greater unity to the ancient church by taking offering from the Gentiles to show their love for the Jews because there's nothing that shows love like money. So, all right, so anyway, <coughs> so you're new, like, what kind of church is this? Um, all right, so... Um, all right, so verse 25, so now I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints, Macedonia, Achaia, they're pleased to make a contribution for the poor. Skip down to verse 28. So after I've completed this task and I've made sure that they have received this fruit, this offering, then I will go to Spain and visit you. So you, you get it. He's gonna, I'm about to leave Corinth. I'm going to go to, Sp uh, to Jerusalem. I'm going to give them the offering. I'll see them. Then I'm, I'm going to go to Spain. I'll stop by you on the way. That's the plan. Verse 30, so I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Well, what do you mean? What do you want me to, how do you want us to pray, Paul? Well, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Now, Judea is the province where Jerusalem is. So he says, um, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. So he says, I want you to pray for me. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, for Paul to go to Jerusalem was always risky business. This is where he had met the leader of persecuting Christians 20 years before. He was traitor number one as far as the Jewish authorities looked at him. Hated number one. And so anytime he came to town, he was taking his life in his hands. So he wants to go back with his offering for the church. But he says, hey, would you pray for me? Because this is scary business. This is risky business. Pray that God will protect me and things will go well. Now, God did not answer that prayer. Isn't it great to know the Apostle Paul didn't get his prayers answered? This just, just makes you feel good, right? It's like, hey, so he's just like us. Um, so that did not happen. What happened was that he left Corinth, sailed to Jerusalem, or, or uh, made his way to Jerusalem. And when he got there, some of the Jews in town, there was a mob, a mob, and they, they were tearing him apart, literally. And the Roman authorities had to step in to save his life. And the Roman authorities put him into custody. They transferred him down to Caesarea, which was the, government, uh, the, the center of the Roman government, and for there, for the next two years, he was stuck in prison waiting trial due to political reasons. But when he was, uh, that first night he was in Jerusalem, after he was kind of all beat up and the, the Romans rescued him, actually Jesus came to him. It was one of the times in his life where he came to him, appeared to him and said, Paul, he says, don't be discouraged. I know you want to go to Rome. That is my will for your life. You are going to make it. It's just going to be a different route. And so two years later, uh, Paul is so frustrated that he can't get his court case heard in Caesarea that as a Roman citizen, he appeals his case to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. They granted his request, put him on a ship, they say, and he's sailing for Rome, and that's where he had the shipwreck at the beginning of the day. So he eventually makes it to Rome, but instead of being like six months after he wrote the letter, I'm on my way, it was more like two to three years 
you see? So he mentions it. Okay, so, so that's some context, Paul's life, where the letter of Romans fits in. Now, one of the questions is, so why did he write the letter to Romans? And the answer is, we don't know. Um, I mean, we, we know part of the answer. We, we've already covered it. He, he wants to establish an emotional and spiritual bond so they can help him on his missionary journey. He's introducing himself. We get that. We know that. But when you look at the letter to the Romans, more than any other letter in the New Testament is very systematic in its approach. It starts like a letter. It ends like a letter. But in between, it reads like a theological position paper. And the question is, why? And we don't really know. Uh, we got some theories on it. Uh, like one theory is, is that we know that Paul was often being criticized for his message. His message was often slandered and twisted. And so he wants their support. He may be writing so that they, here's what I teach. You know, so you can see I'm, I'm orthodox. I'm a good guy. I, I'm not teaching strange. And so he's laying it out in a very organized way. It may be that some of his le- uh, friends in Rome, like Priscilla and Aquila, this couple he's very close with, it may be that they had told him, Paul, we need some solid teaching here. Can you write something? Just lay it out, you know, the kind of the Christian message. Uh, uh, one thing we know for sure was happening was that in Rome, uh, in the church at Rome, there was a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles. Most of the church in, in Rome was Gentiles. We know that. But there were some Jews, and there was tension going on between them. And, and, so, um, and also, there was a bigger theological tension. And it goes like this. In the Old Testament, the Jews were the chosen people, right? God promised he would send them a Messiah, and things would be great. New Testament, Messiah shows up. The Jews, most of the Jews, don't buy into it. And so there's this huge, like, wait a second. Aren't they the chosen people? Uh, did God's plan fail? Like, how does this all work out? What God's doing then, what God's doing now? And that is a big issue in the book of Romans that underlies uh, all, kind of throughout the whole letter. And we'll see it over and over again. So he may be, you know, writing to kind of explain some of that, which he certainly does. So, um, but, but the bottom line is, we don't really know. But the good thing is, the, the great thing is, is that for whatever reason, this becomes one of the most systematic treatises. Why did Jesus come? What, what's his life and death and resurrection about? What is the uh, implications for your life and my life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, part of this movement, the way? And it's probably one of the best statements in all the New Testament. So, you know, for whatever reason, we're just glad he wrote it. And so um, next week, we will actually launch in to the first 17 verses. In fact, in your life group homework, you're going to actually start doing some work ahead of time on that this week to get you ready. But today, what I want to do um, in this last part of the message is I want to focus in on this, this leader, the Apostle Paul, this amazing man, this, um, and, and, and talk about his life and who he was a little bit because he's going to be the guy that's mentoring us for the next, you know, seven, eight, nine months. And so uh, let me say just... <laughs> so, oh, 79 months? Yeah, no, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I'm hoping we're done by then. Okay, yeah. I'm hoping for the end of September, but I'm not sure we're going to make it. All right, so, um, so there in your note sheet, we have the next section. And, uh, and here it is. It's called uh, The Apostle Paul, Three Important Insights into One Incredible Leader. Right? So here we go. Uh, number one, uh, first thing you need to know, if you're going to understand the Apostle Paul, this mentor we're going to be following, first thing you need to know is that Paul's heart is a picture of passion. You know what passion looks like? Apostle Paul is a good place to start. 
I mean, he has passion for God. He's got a passion for Christ. He's got a passion for the movement. He's got a passion for people. You know, in the last series, we asked the question. It was called Priority One. And we remember we asked the question, what does it look like to make God Priority One in your life? What does that look like? Um, we, we asked the question, what does it look like to love God with all your heart and all your soul? What's it look like? What I'm suggesting today is if, if you want to understand that, uh, Apostle Paul is a great place to start. What's it look like? Well, it looks a lot like this guy. Um, I was thinking about it this week. Think of some of the great loves in the Bible. Okay? Um, Rachel, uh, J- uh, Jacob's love for Rachel. Uh, remember that? So Jacob sees his, this woman, Rachel. Man, he's just head over heels, goes to her dad. Man, I'd, I'd love to marry her. We're well, going to have to work seven years for her. Seven years of hard labor. And the Bible says that the years flew by because it says that it seemed like a few days because of his love for Rachel. Now, now we get that, right? You, I don't have to go, I don't say that and you go, oh, what do you mean? I, I can't imagine that. Uh, I mean, we've seen movies, right? We saw Sleepless in Seattle, right? <laughs> you know, we, we've seen Braveheart. I mean, we, we understand romance. We, we get this. When, when someone says, I, I, I love that woman with all my heart. We, we don't go like, what do you mean? We get that, right? We, we understand that. Okay. So I was thinking of another kind of love. Um, think of the story of like Ruth and Naomi. Uh, so Naomi is the mother-in-law, Ruth's the daughter-in-law. They both lose their husbands, they're living in a foreign land. And so Naomi says, I'm going back to Israel to try to, you know, scrape out an existence. Uh, Ruth, the daughter, says, I'm coming with you. No, you're not, because you've got, you, you're from Moab, you're, this is your home country, you have a better chance of getting a husband, you're young, you need to stay here. No, I'm not going, yes, you are, and I'm, I want to come. No, you can't. He says, don't try to stop me. And you remember that scene? I love that scene where she says, where uh, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And we get it, right? We don't look and say, what's going on? We understand that kind of love of family members. Maybe not for mothers-in-laws, but, you know, in, in general, you know? And we don't read that story and go, oh, that sounds really weird. I can't, that would never happen. You know, it's like, right? Okay. Think of another great story. Uh, David and Jonathan. A great friendship. These two warriors going in battle. You know, they got each other's back. They, they share their lives. They share their hearts. They share, they share the battlefield, their, their war scars. And, and they're just so close and they're good buddies. And then it comes to that day and, and when, when Jonathan is killed on the battlefield and David hears the news, and you go there, and you watch David, and he's falling down his hands and knees. He's, he's bawling his eyes out over his friend, and he's just like, man, you're my, like, Jonathan, you were like my brother. He's talking to this corpse there. Jonathan, you're like my brother, and your love for me was amazing. Jonathan, I just love you, and, and we look at that story, and we don't go, that's really weird. That's really weird. That doesn't ring true to life. No, we go, hey, that's what it looks like to love someone with all your heart. We get that, right? Well, what I'm saying is, so, so where in the Bible, who do you look at to say, uh, what does it look like to love God with all your heart? I'm saying one of the great models is Paul. I mean, from the time he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, and he said, oh, blankety blank, <laughs> from that moment till he, met Je- till he lost his head, he was beheaded on the Appian Way coming out of Rome, about, what, nine years after Romans was written, eight or nine years, from those time, I mean, the guy was captured by Jesus. 
The, the guy was just like, Jesus captured his heart. And he was passionate about God. He was passionate. And, and I was thinking about this week, so how do we get at this? How do we get a sense of this? And there are so many passages and so many scriptures, it's hard to choose. I had all these ones, but we're going to be here until, what, 3 o'clock today. And so, uh, so but, but I want you to look at one of them, Philippians chapter 3. Why don't you look at one of the stories? Philippians chapter 3, one of the things he says. Philippians chapter 3, and in, in, in this passage, remember we Philippi, right? We, you circled on your map. So he's writing at 10 years. He starts the church in Philippi. 10 years later, he writes him this letter. He's telling about his life, uh, what it was like before he met Jesus, what it was like after he met Jesus. You know, he, before I met Jesus, he said, I had it made. I had the perks. I had the privileges. I had the power. I had the prestige. I had the money. I mean, I made. So after I met Jesus, I lost it all. He says, you know what? It's like trash to me. In fact, it's like like dung to me. You know, like that word we go, you know, like it's, it's that, you know, uh, word in quotes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, that's what it is to me. I can tell you what it is in, in Greek. It's scubola. It's trash or it's dung. He says, he says, that's what my life was before. He's compared to knowing Jesus. And, and then he says in verse 10, this is what he says, here's, here's the passion of my life now. I want to know Christ. That's what I'm about. And I want to know the power of his resurrection, the same power that raised him from the dead. I want to experience God's life-changing power in my life. That's what my life's about. And then he says something really weird. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Like, what? Okay, I get number one. You want to know Jesus? I get number two. Uh, you, you want to know the power? Hey, I'm all for that. You want to share his sufferings? Are you crazy? Who wants to do that? That's why he died, so I don't have to, right? Paul says, no, you don't get it. Because it's in sharing of his sufferings, that's what going through the hard times is often the path to knowing him and to experiencing his power. And if I have to go through hard times and suffering in order to know Christ, experience his power, and be used of God, man, bring it on. You see his passion? Like, who says that? Who says that kind of thing? A great example. These weren't just words for Paul. This was his life. So let's go back to Philippi, right? So he starts the church there. We circle it. He comes in, that first visit. He's going through town, shared Christ. Few people come to Jesus, not a lot. There's a slave girl there. She's got a demon, an evil spirit, that allows her to predict the future. And so her slave owners are making just a ton of bucks off of her. You know, just set up a little shop, and you come in, and she does her thing, and they're making a lot of money. And after three or four days of this, Paul's getting sick of this, and his heart goes out to this girl who's demon-possessed. And so he knows it's risky, but he turns around and says, hey, and it, this is time for this to end. In the name of Jesus, you know, you need to come out. And so she's delivered. She's free. But the owners are ticked because they've lost their cash cow. And so, and so they, they, this, they take him to the court, to the Roman court in the middle of town, and a big mob scene starts, and, and uh, the Roman authorities, which they shouldn't have done, it was illegal, but they get caught up in it, and they strip down Paul, they strip down Silas, they get out their, their like broom handles, uh, baseball bats, and they, they administer what's called a beating with rods, which was an official Roman beating. Now, this would leave you, I mean, black and blue busted. You, know, you, you might not walk away from a beating like this. This wasn't just to like a, hit you a couple times. I mean, this was an official, get out the baseball bats, we're going to beat on you for a while. 
And, and so they beat on them. And so now they're, they're, they're black, they're blue, they got wounds, they got bruises and stuff. But man, he was willing to take that risk because of his love for this girl. They're like this, she shouldn't be, he knew it was risky, but he, he's like, I'm going for it. So they throw him in prison. And now it's midnight. Now, some of you know this story. If you do, I wish you didn't. Because we get so used to Bible stories, go, oh, yeah, another one. It's like, no, no, this is weird. This is flat out weird what happens next. It's midnight. He's got the, they got the big purple bruises coming out. His skin, huge red welts. He's got blood. He's got blood all over him. He's stuck in stocks, which are not just to hold them still, but to torture them. And it's midnight, and they are praying and worshiping. I mean, the guy should have been in an ER with an IV in, with morphine drip. And, and the other prisoners and the jailer is like, what is, I have never seen someone like this in my life. What is going on? What, what kind of person just gets the whatever beat out of them and then praises their God? I think it's time to get a new God. You see? That's how most people would think. And they just can't get this. And all of a sudden, there's this earthquake. Now, as the story goes, it's a supernatural earthquake. This doesn't happen to all Paul. It's the only time in his life we know, okay? But it's super, and all their chains fall off, not just their chains. The whole place is shaking like crazy. All the chains fall off, not just their chains, all the chains of the prisoners. And the guard is, in, is dark now. The guard, the Roman soldier, he pulls out a sword, and he's ready to commit suicide. Because if you let your prisoners escape, they're going to kill you. He'd rather do it himself. And so he's ready to kill himself, and Paul's yelling out, no, don't do it, man, don't do it. We're all here, we're safe. Just, hey, put your sword away, it's okay, it's all right. And, and the Roman soldier is so blown away by this whole scene, he doesn't know what this is about, but he knows whatever Paul has, it's real. And Paul gets to share Jesus with him in the middle of the night. He gives his life to Christ. He takes Paul and Silas home. They bathe their wounds. He wakes up his family. Paul shares the story of Jesus with his whole family. They all come to Jesus. He baptizes them. They take them back and put them in prison. Now, are you kidding me? Who does that? That is so ridiculous. Are, are, are you kidding me? Who loves slave girls like that to risk? Who sings at midnight when you should have a drip in your arm? Who experiences earthquakes letting off things just so that a Philippian jailer can come and his family come to know Jesus? Because they didn't get away. That was the reason, so they could come to know Jesus. And who cares so much about his enemies, he would rather save the enemy's life than escape with his own life after that brutal beating. You see? This is what Paul is, man. He, this guy is a man on fire for God and a fire for Jesus and a fire for people. I mean, he's a picture of passion. And it's not just this one time in his life. This is his life. In fact, let, look, go back to Philippians chapter 3. Let's see what he says next. So he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power and so on. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this. We're just continuing on the passage. Not that I've already obtained this or I've already been made perfect, <clears throat> but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. That's my life. And brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven. Whereas my life, you know, God chose me for a reason. 
And I am pressing on like a man in a race, just running my heart out to experience the purpose and the calling of Jesus on my life, to fulfill that purpose, to know him, to experience his power, to be transformed, to be used, and to carry out the assignment. This guy was on fire for God. If you, if you want a picture of what does it look like to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, it's a good place to start, the Apostle Paul. Now, this leads to number two. Now, number two and number three will go faster than number one, you're saying fortunately. But, um, <coughs> but number two goes like this. <coughs> Paul's life, it's a model to follow. Now, before you say, duh, and that's boring, let me challenge you in this. Here's what happens, I think, when most of us read the story of the Apostle Paul like we just read. I want to know Christ. I want to know his power. We go, you go, boy. I'm with you. You're my man. We need people like you, and I'm glad you're on our side. Go for it. But deep inside, we believe Paul is different than us. Deep inside of us, we've bought into what I like to call two-tier Christianity. So what's two-tier Christianity? Well, two-tier Christianity is whether you've just picked this up on your own or you've actually been taught it. Some of you have been taught this officially. That there are really kind of two kinds of Christians. There's like <clears throat> leader-type Christians, like Paul, like apostles, like pastors, like priests, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, like nuns, like saints. These are like the high flyers. Okay? These are like the super Christians. And then there's the rest of us. And so we read about Paul, and we go, you go. You're the man. I don't know what that has to do with me. I deliver mail. But for you, <laughs> you go. You see? And Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. No, no. No, I'm a model. You're to be like me. You may not be called to be an apostle. You may not be called to be a pastor, a missionary, an author, a speaker, writer. But you're called to pursue Jesus just like I am. You're called to know Christ. You're called to know the power of the resurrection. You're called to know the fellowship just like I am. I'm not unique. I am your model. You're to be, you're to be like me. And, and many times in Christian circles, man, we, this just kills us. And you see it, like, like I said, you're a Roman Catholic, you background, you, tip it, you totally see this, right? Oh yeah, there's the priests and there's the, the nuns and then there's the rest of us, right? But you know, the same way in Protestant circles, you get really sick. Who do you want to come pray for you? The pastor. Why? Because I'm sure he's better connected than we are. I mean, after all, he's given his life to this. I'm sure he's closer to Jesus, and I'm sure Jesus listens to him more than he listens to the rest. Well, let me tell you something. If you see me coming when you're in the hospital, all it means is you are really sick. <laughs> and you're probably going to die. That's all it means. See what I'm saying? That's what it means. You know, it comes time for communion. We need the holy man. To, uh, let's turn it. Uh. Oh, got him baptized. Oh, got to get a pastor. It doesn't count. You see, you see these kinds of things we have? We've bought into what I call two-tier Christianity, and it is not New Testament Christianity. 
And the Apostle Paul is going to blow it out of the water for us throughout this whole series. And he's going to come to us and say, there is only one kind of Christ follower. And that's one who has been baptized in the name of Jesus and buried with him and risen with him. And, and you're either you're a follower or you're not. Well, actually, the Paul says there are two kinds of Christ followers. Well, let's look what he says. Verse 15. Go on the same passage in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. <coughs> let's go on just to the very next verse. Now, he says, all of us who are mature should take such, remember he just said, you need to seek Christ, know him, pursue him, experience his power, press on, run the race, win the prize, that's the context. Next thing he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Okay, so there is a two-tier system, but it's not pastors and lay people. It's not priests and lay people. It's not apostles and everyone else. It's mature and immature. So there's a two-tier system. It's called mature and immature. And so if you want to be a baby Christian, yeah, okay, go ahead. But don't think you're normal. You're abnormal. Because babies who don't grow are sick, right? It's really cute to see a baby go, mama, 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 it's like first words, you said dad, I heard it, you know? he's 33 going, Dad, uh, what's got problems? <laughs> right? It's not normal. Okay. Now, Paul drives us home in the next passage. Look at chapter 4 of uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Let's keep going. And he says this in 4.9. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. I'm going to do it again. A lot of you are still flipping. Whatever you learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, he assumes he's a model. Look what the next verse on your note sheet. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul assumes we're going to model our life after him. He's our model. Now you say, Mike, why are you making such a big deal about this? I'll tell you why. We become like the people we model our lives after. And if you look at the Apostle Paul and you say, oh, Paul, that's awesome for you. You're pursuing Jesus. That's great. But deep in your heart, you say, but you're different from me. Guess what? You will never grow up spiritually. You will never become a mature follower of Jesus because deep in your heart, you're not aspiring to that. But the moment you see the Apostle Paul is our model, what happens is you start comparing yourself to the Apostle Paul. And if you're like me, you start saying things like, what's wrong with me? And we start waking up spiritually and we start saying, God, I want some of that. Can I tell you something? I read Acts 16 this week, the story of Paul and flipping the jailer and stuff. I almost started crying this week. I, I hadn't read that story in years. And I almost started crying. You know why? Because like, Jesus, I want some of that. I want to live my life on the edge. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be able to risk my life for a girl that's being demon-possessed. I want to go in prison and not go to the ER. I, I, want to, I want to have that kind of joy in my life. I want to care more about my enemies than my own safety. 
I want some of that. I don't have some of that. I'm not that. I'm the first to admit it. I know nothing of that. But that's what I want. And that's what I want for this church. You see, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. And if we don't see the Apostle Paul as a model, we'll never get there. Because we just go, oh, that's for two-tier. That's for upper-tier people. It's not for me. No, it's wrong. That is a lie. It's sin. It's wrong. It's evil. We've got to destroy the two-tier paradigm, right? Okay, number, two, number three. Now, one more principle. So what have we said about Paul? He's a, he's a, his heart is a picture of passion. His life is a model to follow. Okay, uh, number three. His mind is hard to follow. <laughs> uh, Paul is both brilliant and baffling. Um, he is one of the greatest Christian leaders and thinkers of all time, but when Jesus was passing out the gifts, clarity is not one that he got. Um, if you, uh, you know, you're saying like, Mike, but he's an apostle. Don't talk like that about him. Okay, I won't. Peter, let's peel out Peter talk about him like that. Here's the apostle Peter there in your note sheet. So Peter's writing, 2 Peter 3, and he says, keep in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, <laughs> which uh, ignorant and unstable people distort. Right? So his, Apostle Peter says, hey man, this guy's hard to understand. Well, if you think Peter's having a hard time with this, guess what? Uh, we're going to struggle at times. I can promise you. Here's what I find you. You come to the book of Romans that most people, when I tell them we're studying the book of Romans, everyone gets, oh, great, that's awesome. We're so excited. Romans, yes, go. Boy. And the reason is is because we know six or seven verses. So we love, and we love those verses. You know, chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, chapter three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, chapter six, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life. Chapter seven, what I do want to do, I don't do. And what I don't do, I want to do. Chapter 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 12, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Man, we love Romans. Well, the, the reality is most of us, that's all we know of Romans. Like, those are like the mountaintops. All the valleys we skip. And I can tell you, as we go into Romans, it's hard slugging. You better have your game face on. Okay, okay with it. He is going to challenge us. He's going to use long and complicated sentences. He's going to use terms we don't understand. He's going to talk about concepts we've never heard of. He's going to say things that are like politically incorrect. <laughs> um, he's going to have imaginary conversations with his readers and hope that we follow. <laughs> okay? And it's all there. And it's not going to be easy. And so I'm challenging you right here. I'm telling you right here and now. If you want to just come and coast, probably not the right church for you. The next nine months, come back, you know, later, maybe September, whatever. But for the next nine months, we're going to have our game face on. We're going to have to learn how to think as Christians. We're going to have to learn how to love God with our minds, not just our hearts, okay? But it's so worth it because the Apostle Paul, whenever he does his teaching, he is never doing what I'd call academic theology, just kind of preparing us for a spiritual uh, theology test. When he teaches, he's always describing spiritual reality so that we can enter in and experience it with him. Like a great example, throw your note sheet, Ephesians. He's writing to the Ephesians, <coughs> and he says, uh, 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? That God would just give you the Holy Spirit, give you wisdom, give you revelation, open your eyes to things, so that you may know him better. That's the whole point. I pray that the, the eyes of your heart can be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. That's talking about your future, the next life. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's talking about this community that he's creating, this new community of Christ's followers. And next is, is in, uh, incomparably great power for those who believe. He's asking, he's asking, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God opens your eyes so you, the stuff I'm teaching, you can enter into it and you can, you can see and experience what I'm talking about. You, you can know about the future that we've got coming. You can know how incredible the body of Christ is and what it means to be part of this community. You can experience this power in your life in a firsthand way like I've experienced. That's why I'm writing. That's what I'm praying for. That's what drives him. And that's what we're going for in this study. It will not be easy. It will be tough sledding. But it's worth it. Because when we get it, it changes our lives, you see? So I hope you can be with us every week for the next nine months. <laughs> yeah, it's a big hope, I know. But i got to pray, you know, um, that, that you just be here every week. As we, we come along, this amazing Christ follower, let him mentor us in what it means to be part of this movement and what it means to be part of this movement called the way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing man, amazing teacher. We enter into an adventure with you now. We, we partner with you. We pray you'd give us the courage to listen. You'd give us the perseverance to use our brains and to think. Uh, that You'd give us the uh, willingness to obey. And you'd give us ears to hear what you want to say to us in our lives and this church at this point in our history. God, we're excited for the journey. We pray this in your name. Amen.